0: This is Unfilter, episode 310 for May 21st, 2020.
1: Now, the 57 year old Chinese ambassador to Israel was found dead in his local residence this morning, apparently from cardiac arrest. But While an investigation is launched, the issue comes at a time of sudden tensions over China's developing economic ties with Israel and the objections by the United States. Our international affairs correspondent Bianca Zanini has the story.
0: Hello, friends, and welcome into 310 of your Corona Cracking cast. My name is Chris, and and this week, I think I'm just going to skip the lead up, and I'm just going to jump right into it. This is one of those episodes where I try to update you on what's not being covered with all of the Corona stuff going on. I'm sure you've probably noticed these days that media will just hyper-monofocus on a singular topic. <laughs> Have you noticed this? And uh, when that happens, I try to ramp up my radar and capture the stories that are not getting as much coverage. And I have a few systems in place to try to do this. So I want to get into that. But we will start with our pandemic news. We're going to jump into that, get it out of the way, and just get everybody current on what's going on with COVID, the economy, and the election. And then we'll cover the stories that probably need a little more attention that they're not getting right now. But... That's what your own filter shows for. So let's start with all the big hoopla around this new potential vaccine. It's made a lot of buzz this week, but I'm a little skeptical.
2: Fox News alert now on progress on the COVID-19 vaccine front as biotech company Moderna reports very positive results from an early human trial, which did show that people given its potential vaccine generated antibodies to the virus. Joining us now is Alex Azar, Health and Human Services Secretary. You read through the details that Moderna has released. Its stock is skyrocketing 17% today, Mr. Secretary, and welcome. Markets are up anticipation of this as well. How confident are you that this could be the game changer that could lead us to a vaccine by end of
1: year.
0: Let's stop right here. So first of all, vaccine by end of year. Hmm. Well, I think she's going to eat those words. Second of all, a market rally does not equate legitimacy in the actual medical product, something that uh, we have seen before. So there's not necessarily a direct correlation between market performance and actual substantive medical product. I just want to make that clear. I think you could very much have something that's being positioned to make it appear to be a market leader to capture that narrative early on, especially since it appears the U.S. government has some investment into it.
3: Well, President Trump is leading Operation Warp Speed, which is going to put bets on several vaccines. This one, the Moderna vaccine, was actually invented here at NIH, and within eight weeks, we brought that to clinical trials. It's really historic, as you said. Some very promising data showing the vaccine provokes what are called neutralizing antibodies that attack the virus. And so uh, just really important advance, and we're going to be putting other big bets on other vaccines, so we're so we're not going to b- into battle with just one shot.
0: Interestingly enough, I uh, had a family member and some other Washington residents as well as a YouTuber I follow. What an eclectic arrangement of people, but it's a couple of different data points, all of whom originate from Washington, were very sick late December, early January, very sick, actually when I was sick too, now that I think about it, um, and they tested positive for the antibodies. They haven't been sick since December and January, but they were tested positive positive for COVID-19 antibodies. I have a link in the show notes about a couple of residents here in Washington, but happened to a family member who I'm very close to and a YouTuber who I know professionally. I think that's interesting because the antibodies that they had were the type that, I don't, I'm talking way out of school here because I haven't had any tests done or anything, but the way they explained it to me, these individuals took the time to explain it to me, thankfully, is that there's an antibody that shows that it's been over a month since you had it and they had those as well. So more places are testing, more testing is happening, and more states and areas are slowly opening up.
2: Today, officials laying the groundwork for what lies ahead. Dozens of states across the country reopening businesses, parks and beaches. But as most of the country is easing restrictions, Montana, South Dakota, Arkansas and Maine are still seeing an increase of coronavirus cases. Hard hit New York mapping out a phased plan to reopen. But Governor Cuomo says his state will have to keep its hands on the valve if the infection rate goes up.
0: Now, the thing that's tricky about this, and I know you already know this, but I'm just pointing it out, is... As testing capacity increases, the rate will also increase of infections because we're just simply testing a lot more people. I know we all know that. It's been discussed before, but it doesn't really ever get brought into context here.
1: The lower the infection rate climbs the more you increase the economic activity it is a formula it is math
2: some area beaches and parks reopening large groups in new york seen across the city many violating social distancing restrictions gathering outside of bars and restaurants many of which are open for takeout new york city the epicenter of the outbreak far from out of the woods mayor bill de blasio doubling down on his decision to keep beaches in the city closed for memorial day weekend
3: that's just the beach Imagine the scene on the A train with people going out to the Rockaways or any other train where people go to the beach or the buses, we're not gonna allow that crowding to happen. So the word is no, not yet.
2: And in neighboring New Jersey, hundreds of residents packed walkways and flocked to beaches, many to get beach passes. It's a beautiful day. If you have to be online, what better place to be online than in this beautiful sunshine along our beautiful beaches. Meantime, back in New York, officials continue to ramp up testing across the state. Now with more than 700 testing locations, laboratories are carrying out about 40,000 tests a day. Governor Cuomo getting tested himself during his live press conference on Sunday.
0: Right up the nose. He says, that's it, huh? No big deal. It's no big deal. But maybe it's because he's a little distracted. He's too busy working with billionaires like Gates to reimagine schools for the new post-COVID reality.
2: And as the state works to reopen, the governor is now enlisting a trio of billionaires to help ramp up the state's coronavirus response. Microsoft co-founder Bill Gates, former Google chief executive Eric Schmidt, and former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg will spearhead the initiative.
0: That's a weird group. I mean, Gates, he's been meddling with schools for a very long time since the Bush administration, Bush Jr. But ex-Google and Bloomberg. Um, Schmidt's a weirdo, and Bloomberg... Well, he sort of seems like a wet blanket after watching him on the debates.
2: Michael Bloomberg will spearhead the initiative. The group will help trace the spread of the disease and think through how the state will look in the future. Just a few weeks ago, when the trio's names first became public, local officials and education advocates blasted Cuomo for depending on wealthy, unelected officials. Educators in particular called out Bill and Melinda Gates for their foundation's support for Common Core, a controversial standardized testing program already implemented in New York and other states.
0: I think there is this divide between those who want to get right back to work and try to get life back to, quote unquote, normal as fast as possible. And then people who feel like it would be a disservice to go back without fundamentally changing a few of our basics. And I think you see two different views of the world here, and it's reflected all the way up to the governor level. And you're seeing different executions Sort of a reluctance to go back to normal versus a hope for a new change. And uh, Gates and um, Bloomberg and Eric Schmidt are who the governor taps for that. Meanwhile, my governor has implemented here in Washington state, has implemented a full-fledged registration system. When you go into a restaurant, a bar, a cafe, it includes personal information, identifying information, how to get a hold of you, email address, the time and date that you were there, all of it. And it's all in service of saving people's lives from COVID-19, he says.
4: This contact tracing, obviously, if, if you have somebody who's become sick and they were sitting right next to a person at a restaurant, to be able to identify that person could be very valuable for their health to try to save their life. And so we've put that uh, uh,
0: in place. Now, I just think this is going to turn people off. Well, I know it's turning people off because people around here are ranting and raving about it. So not only have they limited the capacity of the restaurants, which is pretty much impossible for them to earn a revenue uh, at 25 percent or even 50 percent capacity. But also now you have to give them all your personal information that's just going to sit on some piece of paper that anybody could take pictures of with their smartphone in order to even just get a hamburger. It's just not worth it. People are just going to keep going through the drive-throughs. And of course, then there's the issue of the masks. As we are taking a slower reopening approach, there is a lot of mask shaming happening. The other day, uh, I stopped to get gas and I didn't know I was out of gas. Like I usually planned for that. And so I, I was go I was commuting between home and the studio. It's just what I've been doing. Home studio. I don't go anywhere else. I just I don't see anybody else. I just between home and between the studio. It's been like that for a long time. Well, this day I needed to get gas and I picked up a, a gas pump that nobody else was around, nobody on the other side or the one behind me. So I had like a lot of space around me, but I got out of the car and everybody around me had masks on and they were all looking at me because I wasn't wearing a mask. I hadn't planned on being there. I actually have a a, a thing of masks here at the studio. So you know people need them. They are available. I just don't. I don't drive with one on. I don't I didn't I don't go anywhere, so I don't I don't tend to need one. And I I felt I felt very awkward for those few minutes that I was getting gas. And I think there's this this sense that it's become a political thing, that it's a right versus left thing. And I kind of want to put that on its head for a moment. Well, yes, that's obviously a component of it. I wonder if the mask is more of a statement about taking risks to live life to its fullest versus safety and quote-unquote trying to do the most to protect others.
4: In Columbia Heights, the Washington, D.C. neighborhood hit hardest by COVID, masks are everywhere. The advice from experts for all? If you want to help slow the spread of the coronavirus here, or for that matter, anywhere in America, it's pretty simple. Put one on.
3: But increasingly in this
4: country there's another consideration politics. To wear or not to wear one of these has in many quarters become a matter not just of health and safety, but a matter of who do you believe? Who do you support? And are you on side with the
3: president?
0: I don't know if I buy it. I mean I think it is partially that. I think it's also some other I think it's a it's become this complicated, ridiculous thing. And I, I if you're listening to this in the future, as from when I record this a year or so down the road, plus this part has to seem like one of the most ridiculous aspects of this entire COVID-19 calamity. That even the the wearing a mask or not has become a political partisan issue. That's how bad it was during this time, future observer. Just note that one in. Isn't it ridiculous? I just can't. This next one, I just can't. Um, I'm going to just play it for you because this was one of the most jaw-dropping moments of the week. I'm sure you've already heard this, but we got to talk about Trump taking the hydroxychloroquine.
4: I happen to be taking it. I
0: happen to be taking it.
4: Hydroxychloroquine?
0: I'm taking it. Hydroxychloroquine. I'm taking it, baby. I'm taking it. He says, I'm taking it proudly. I happen to be taking
4: it. Hydroxychloroquine? I'm taking it. Hydroxychloroquine. Taking it. hydroxychloroquine. Right now, yeah. A couple of weeks ago, started taking it.
5: Because I think it's good. I've heard a
4: lot of good stories. And if it's not good, I'll tell you right. I'm not going to get hurt by it. It's been around for 40 years for malaria, for lupus, for other things. I
0: take it. Now let me break down what's going on here. There's a study that was conducted that has been the primary position piece in the media to talk negatively about this drug. I don't want to weigh into it. Trump's not a doctor. (laughs) I, I think it's Amazing how hard he hit on this, not knowing shit one, what he's talking about. Like, it's really incredible. Um, But then, of course, there was the partisan reaction to just stop at all means at any means necessary to disprove that this hydroxychloroquine could have any kind of medical benefit. And then there was a study released, which he pushes back on. He makes reference to constantly. Where, as he describes it, the people were, quote, Very old, says the nearly 80-year-old president. They were, quote, very old and near death. And so it wasn't a fair study. And so he is so determined to prove he is right when the media does this, when when they troll him like this, just like they did with the crowd sizes for the inauguration. He just can't let it go. He can't let it go. And so he talked his doctor into it. He debated it with his doctor and his doctor signed off on it and has even released a statement saying so. So the White House doctor said so. And of course, the immediate response to the press was, can we get a full list of the drugs the president is taking, please? Uh, Which they have not responded with.
4: Frontline workers take it. A lot of doctors take it. Excuse me. Excuse me. A lot of doctors take it. I take it. No, I hope to not be able to take it soon because, you know, I hope they come up with some answer. But I think people should be allowed to. I got a letter from a doctor the other day from Westchester, New York, around the area. He didn't want anything. He just said, sir, I have hundreds of patients and I give them hydroxychloroquine. I give them the z which is zithromycin. And I give them zinc. And out of the hundreds of patients, many hundreds, over 300 patients, I've, I haven't lost one. Now, it's strange,
0: this doctor writes him about how he's used it to help patients with COVID-19. All right, anecdotal evidence, take it or leave it, doesn't really matter for this conversation. It would sort of be remarkable, shocking, and perhaps extremely disturbing if the president of the United States could be swayed by a single letter From a single doctor, because for all he knows, that doctor could be Chinese, Russian, uh, you know, any, you know, could have any motivation, could be a state actor. Right. I mean, let's be clear here. The idea that the president can be swayed like this in such a dramatic fashion, as in such to ingest a drug, which could potentially be harmful. And has yet to actually be proven to be successful is remarkable. That's remarkable. Just got to soak that one in for a moment. Now, let's move forward, okay, because you just had to acknowledge that guy. He's talking about how this doctor used it to treat patients that were infected with COVID-19. He's not infected with COVID-19. He's using it as a, what do they call it, a prophylactic, a protectant. I thought that was something for gas. Turns out it's something to prevent you from getting sick. What do I know? But he seems to think, he knows, it's going to prevent him from getting it, even though this doctor's letter said it had been successful in treating people. You see, there's a disconnect there. The two things are not the same. He said,
4: please keep pressing that, sir. Uh, and if you look at that phony report that was put in, that report on the hydroxy was given to people that were in extraordinarily bad condition. Extraordinarily bad. People that were dying. No, I th- I think for whatever it's worth, I take it. I was... Uh, I. I would have told you that three, four days ago, but we never had a chance because you never asked me the question. The White House, did the White House doctor recommend that you take that? Is that why you're yeah, taking White it? Yeah, White House doctor. I didn't recommend, no, I asked him, what do you think? He said, well, if you'd like it. I said, yeah, I'd like it. I'd like to take it. A lot of people are taking it. A lot of frontline workers are taking hydroxychloroquine. A lot of front, uh,
0: cyclical talking here.
4: I don't take it because, hey, people said, oh, maybe he owns the company. No, I don't know the company. You know what? I want the people of this nation To feel good. I don't want them being sick. And there's a very good chance that this has an impact, especially early on. But you look at frontline workers, you look
0: at doctors. All right, I'm sick of them talking in circles. You get the idea. Now, there is a bit of uh, good news. You always love to see when a corrupt politician really has to own it for once. And there was a story early on in this coronavirus pandemic about certain senators cashing out stock options. Ahead of the economic crash that was going to result from the shutdown. Senator Burr was one of them. Feinstein was investigated a little bit amongst others. Well, this week, Burr had to step down.
2: Fox News alert. Republican Senator Richard Burr is stepping aside temporarily uh. as chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee amid an investigation into his stock sales during the initial coronavirus outbreak. Burr just moments ago told reporters he has become a distraction and thought that by stepping aside, that that was the best thing to do. Cameras catching up with him there just a few minutes ago, so you see it. Um, also, this comes as a law enforcement source is telling Fox federal agents uh, confiscated Burr's cell phone during a search of his home last night. We can also confirm that Democratic Senator Diane Feinstein was questioned by the FBI about her husband's stock transactions during that same time period. We
1: are following those stories.
0: Yeah. Yeah, they confiscated his cell phone, but it's just a distraction. I'll be back real soon. Uh, and they're knocking on old Diane's door, too. Although I don't think that's going to go very far. Uh, before we get into the economy, the Corona economy, why don't we do a quick showception? <laughs> uh, um, I wanted to. Be, uh, <laughs> I don't know what it is, but for some reason, I find that hilarious. I think it's it's just a little bit of a fail horn. Um, I have uh, an announcement to make. Friday, I will do a live Q and A. Uh, we are uh, <laughs> about to hit the rebuild cycle. If you are a previous patron and and never unsubscribed and remain subscribed, that billing cycle will kick in in June. And so I figured let's do a live Q&A, answer any remaining questions folks have, address future of the show topics, all of that Friday, 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern time over at unfilter.show slash live or twitch.tv slash unfilter. I think I'll play a few clips, too, that haven't made it into the show so far, maybe do an oil update because I've been meaning to tell you what's going on there. Uh, And... If you cannot make it, never fear. There will be a question slash feedback form that you can fill out, and I will try to read those. So that way, for those of you who can't make it, can still get your questions in. And then you can watch it back on Twitch whenever you like. You don't actually have to be there for it, but I will be there taking live questions, chatting with folks, if you'd like to join me Friday. Uh, Live Unfilter Experience, twitch.tv slash unfilter. And if you got any questions, just hit me up in the Discord. In the meantime, unfilter.show slash Discord. All right, let's start the show back up. Ah! So the Federal Reserve Chairman has been saying some spooky things, including that the economy is going to take a long time to recover.
2: Good morning to you, Robin. That's right, Fed Chair Powell called this the biggest shock in living memory to the economy and said he doesn't believe that the economy will fully recover from the lockdowns until the end of 2021. If you look at unemployment today, it is 14.7 percent as of April, 20 million Americans out of work, and he believes those numbers will continue to climb in the coming months, potentially as high as 25 percent. He believes that as the economy comes back and as as the reopenings occur, people without a vaccine still won't be able to do things like go to major sporting events, concerts, even big conferences. These are all important aspects of the economy.
0: Link in the show notes to this. But J.P. Morgan Chase's analyst released today that they think one of the greatest risks facing the economy is political partisanship. They think that political partisanship could drag out the recovery and crash things like just basically tank Industries that would have bounced back potentially. Um, I'm not giving it full justice because it's a really fiery analysis. And I have that linked in the show notes. But when the Fed chairman says these kinds of things, I try to pay attention. He's looking at it from a very unique perspective. And he said something on 60 Minutes that's gotten very, very little attention. But I grabbed it for you. The Fed chairman is suggesting he's kind of urging Congress, really, to bail out the people instead of the corporations.
1: I don't give them advice on particular policies, but I would say, if I may, that um, policies that that help businesses avoid avoidable insolvencies
3: and that do the same for individuals, keep workers in their homes, keep them paying their bills, keep families uh, solvent.
0: The entire 60 Minutes interview might be worth your attention, but I think he's he's nailed it. Bail the people out directly. Keep them paying their bills. Keep them paying rent, mortgages, utility bills which will have the actual trickle on a trickle down or trickle up effect of keeping the economy rolling. But let's shift gears to the election because I've noticed a new strategy playing out that I think has the best shot of winning Joe Biden the election. I've wondered what they're going to do, because let's be honest, more than a couple of minutes into a conversation and Joe can't keep the thread. And when interviews go beyond five minutes, he starts to sort of lose it he mixes up things like jobs data and coronavirus deaths in kind of major gaffy ways
1: this is not a moment for excuses or deflections or blame game we're 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 we're, it's, it's, we're in the middle of a pandemic that had cost us more than 85,000 jobs as of today lives of millions of people millions of people millions of jobs you know and we're in a position where you know, we just got new unemployment insurance this morning, uh, n- numbers. 36.5 million claims since this crisis began. And almost 3 million new claims in the last week. The unemployment rate is nearing 15%. The highest it's been since the Great Depression. But I need not tell you all that. Of course, it's a, it's the least well-off for being hit the hardest. 40% of the households making $40,000 or less experienced a job loss
0: boy he's it's it's not a presidential campaign it's it's a mishmash of parsed language and packet loss it's not a real campaign so i've been wondering how the hell is he going to win the election how's he going to fight trump who's out there every day in front of the cameras who constantly is grabbing the news cycle by the horns and shoving it around then it dawned on me he's going to have obama do it for him He's going to have Obama and Obama's army do all of the hitting for him. And that is exactly what's happened. Obama had a really weird opportunity, I guess. He, he did some commencement speeches and he used these commencement speeches as a platform to go after the Trump administration's coronavirus response. Commencement speeches.
4: We're going to go to the White House now, where President Trump is clashing with former President Obama. After a week of Trump tweets attacking Obama, the former president leveled not-so-veiled criticism of how the Trump administration has handled the pandemic in a pair of commencement addresses. Cecilia Vega is in Washington with the details. And Cecilia, we're seeing some hints here of how big a role Obama will play in the Biden campaign.
2: Yeah, exactly, George. Good morning to you. The former president has rarely weighed in since leaving office. But now that he's formally endorsed Joe Biden, we can expect to hear a lot more from him. Speaking to high school and college graduates in a pair of virtual commencement addresses, former President Barack Obama blasted the Trump administration's handling of the coronavirus pandemic.
1: More than anything, this pandemic has fully, finally torn back the curtain on the idea that so many of the folks in charge
0: know what they're doing. Is this an appropriate message for a high school commencement speech? I don't think it is. A lot of them aren't even pretending to be in charge.
2: The former president stepping off the sidelines to deliver an implied swipe at his successor, never once mentioning his name.
0: <laughs> uh, it's, of course, of course, one of those things where then Trump has to respond to
4: uh, President Obama's. Uh speeches over, over the week. Look, I think he was an incompetent president. I think President Obama was one of the worst presidents in the history of our country. I think he was an incompetent president. I know what he left us. He left us a broken military. He left us a military that ISIS was all over the place and I got rid of it. I, did, I knocked out 100% of the caliphate and even you will admit that, John.
0: <laughs> so now it's going to be this. It's going to be... It's going to be Obama. It's going to be Nancy Pelosi. It's going to be all of them hitting Trump and Biden will just be the benefactor. He won't even really have to utter very many words. I think Nancy took maybe the nastiest troll swipe this week.
3: All right, Nancy, I've got to ask you about congressional reaction to President Trump's claims that he's been taking hydroxychloroquine. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi was asked about this last night during an interview. Let's hear some of her response.
6: As far as the president is concerned, um, uh, uh, he's our president, and I would rather he not be taking something that has not been approved uh, by the scientist, especially in his age group and in his, shall we say, weight group, what is morbidly obese, they say. That
0: seems a little obvious in the troll department. She's trying to bait him. Uh, I'm curious where we draw the line because we often comment on Trump's skin color, his hair, and now his weight. Um, can I say Stacey Abrams is morbidly obese? Is that appropriate now? I don't think so. So why is it okay to say that about the president of the United States? <sighs> this is going to be—it's going to be a really dirty fight. It's the kind of fighter that Trump is, and this kind of trolling and baiting. It's going to be a really nasty election. We're going to be some some real proud Americans over here. Hoorah! Yeah. Let's let's move on. I want to get to the stuff that isn't getting enough attention. And I think a lot of it has to do with China. And it's not even it's not even because of COVID-19. But. What the coronavirus situation has done is it has exposed some massive cracks in our relationship with China, and it has revealed some big things that are going on behind the scenes. We start with Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, who has a few observations on China.
5: I uh, I want to begin today with a few observations on China because the media's focus on the current pandemic uh, risks. Missing the bigger picture of the challenge that's presented by the Chinese Communist Party. First basic facts. China's been ruled by a brutal authoritarian regime, a communist regime since nineteen forty-nine. For several decades. We thought the regime would become more like us through trade, scientific exchanges, diplomatic outreach, letting them in the WTO as a develop, developing nation. It didn't happen.
0: So they thought they were gonna westernize them. That was the strategy to westernize China. And now the United, States, the, the United States government, the head of the State Department, is saying that strategy isn't working.
5: We greatly underestimated the degree to which Beijing is ideologically and politically hostile to free nations. The whole world is waking up to that fact. Pew reported, I think it was this past week, that 66 percent of Americans have an unfavorable view of China. That is a direct result of the Chinese Communist Party's choices, which are influenced by the nature of the regime. And the nature of that regime is not new. Second point. On the bigger picture. The Chinese Communist Party's response to the COVID-19 outbreak in Wuhan have accelerated our more realistic understanding of Communist China.
0: Now, here we go. This is the Trump administration's view of the situation that he's about to lay out here. Now, I think and I'm about to play some other clips. I think this may be a whole of government view, not just a Trump administration. This very well, I think, is one of those issues that if a Biden administration were to step in in 2021, they very much would be maybe they would be delivering it differently. So I shouldn't say very much. They'd probably be delivering it differently. But this would be their position. I I think it is a national strategic issue. And I think that's how they see it.
5: The party chose to destroy live virus samples instead of sharing them or asking us to help secure them. The People's Liberation Army has claimed more features in the South China Sea's international waters, sank a Vietnamese fishing boat, threatened a Malaysian energy prospector, and declared a unilateral fishing ban. The United States condemns these unlawful acts.
0: He's barely speaking these days. He's in horrible health. At least I assume that's what it is. But I do think there is a larger strategy at play.
3: Now we have breaking news on some stocks that are taking a big drop.
0: Chinese tech names. What's happening, That's
2: exactly right, Scott. The Senate has passed a law that requires Chinese companies to abide by U.S. securities law and disclosure of specified information regarding whether they are owned by a foreign government. They're also requiring an actual audit. It follows ongoing concerns regarding Huawei, and you are seeing Chinese-related names uh, come off the highs of the day, trading actually at session lows, names like Alibaba, JD.com, and Baidu. Scott, for now, back to you.
0: Yeah, it seems the Chinese... Uh, tech companies are going under the same scrutiny that U.S. tech companies, to a degree, are under. Uh, and that's an overall action to make U.S. companies more competitive. But it seems that there's just a general free fall, free fall, free fall in relations between the U.S. and China. The coronavirus pandemic has amplified the tensions between the United States and China. A new political
2: poll shows that since January, the percentage of voters who say China is an enemy has risen to 11 points to 31%. Yesterday, Chinese state media released an animated video mocking Secretary of State Mike Pompeo as he congratulated Taiwan's president for her second inauguration. On the technology front, the U.S. passed new rules to restrict chip sales to Chinese tech giant Huawei. And China seems to be jockeying to gain world influence where the U.S. backtracks.
0: Now, there's also this whole question of will they allow an international investigation? Australia has really been leading the pressure on an international investigation. It seems that China's president at first said absolutely no way, has made a bit of a change now, though. It's not a full concession. He says, All right, we'll allow some investigation, but with a very limited scope. In his address, China's
1: President Xi supported the idea of an inquiry, but with very clear limits.
3: China supports the idea of a comprehensive review of the global response to COVID-19 so that it's brought under control to collect experiences and address deficiencies.
1: But he wants the World Health Organization in charge of any inquiry. And it's the WHO under its leader, Dr. Tedros, that's been condemned by the Trump administration for its poor response, and in particular, being too close to China.
0: Yeah, you could say that.
1: The Chinese government is to be congratulated for the extraordinary measures it has taken to contain the outbreak.
0: This is the WHO's doctor.
2: China is actually setting a new standard for outbreak
3: response, and it's not an exaggeration. Yes,
0: yeah, so you could say maybe the WHO has, has some bias, but this COVID situation and the situation with the WHO and perhaps where that's going are only ancillary to much, much, much larger problems, and it's twofold its Middle East policy, and its economic strategy. And you see, much like how the U.S. is competing with Russia for the European market, we're also beginning to compete in a lot of markets with China, especially in certain markets that we're used to being the ultimate king, and that's Israel. You see, that relationship between China and Israel has made the United States government very uncomfortable.
6: Because China and Israel have been growing closer in recent years in trade, diplomacy, tourism, and cooperation on science and culture, China, no longer focusing strictly on the motto, money not meddling, has promised to become increasingly more active in the Middle East.
1: China hopes Palestine and Israel can achieve peace as soon as possible and live and work in peace. China will make unremitting efforts for this.
6: And since then, China's influence in the Middle East has only grown. But not everyone is as optimistic about that, especially given Israel's deepening ties with the Chinese. On his one-day visit to Israel last week, U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo appeared to take a swipe at China while praising Israel. The Trump administration calling out China for lacking transparency and playing a central role... The spread of the coronavirus pandemic charges Beijing denies.
5: You're a great partner. You share information, unlike some other countries that (laughs) that try to obfuscate and hide.
0: That's Bibi, if he can't tell.
5: That information, and we'll talk about that country, too.
6: (laughs) The two largest economies in the world fighting over trade. And when it comes to Iran, Washington and Beijing disagree even more.
0: Yeah, that Iran thing is actually a pretty big deal. In fact, Israel is pretty much on pretty much on the exact opposite side of what to do with Iran than China is and you have to wonder if this uncomfortable relationship for the United States this uncomfortable arrangement with Iran and where Israel's in the middle if maybe when the ambassador when China's ambassador winds up dead when China's ambassador to Israel winds up dead when an ambassador dies in bed You wonder if maybe he was murdered.
6: The ambassador was uh, reportedly found unconscious in bed, and the police is awaiting the toxicology report, but for now does not... Uh, look like they're looking into any of this as something criminal. Now, the, the ambassador arrived here in Israel in February, uh, just as the corona uh, crisis erupted here. He stayed two weeks in quarantine. He didn't have much opportunity to actually do much in his position uh, because of the coronavirus here. But just last week, he did speak in, um, in response to uh, U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, as we heard in the report here.
0: He died of a heart attack, they say. They're looking into it, but they don't expect to find anything. So the Chinese ambassador shows up at Israel, goes into a mandatory two-week Rona lockdown, and then dies just as the quarantine is over. The one public action he had taken was to speak out against Mike Pompeo. That was the extent of his work in Israel so far before he met his untimely death. And uh, unlike Mike Pompeo, he's a fit-looking gentleman. I'll the link to information about him in the show notes. So it's pretty shocking. You know, early 60s, looks like he's in good health. There's more going on. And I you got to wonder, when you look at the context here, a death like that's very suspicious. Israel was just recently con- caught conducting a cyber attack on Iran, and a really significant one at that. And now China, an ally with Iran can't be happy about that. And an ambassador winds up dead? It's weird. It could also be a coincidence.
4: Let's go now to a developing story. And the Washington Post is citing that Israel carried out a sophisticated cyber attack on a major shipping terminal in Iran, which brought down all the main systems, causing chaos for days around the Shahid Raji port from May 9. Now, satellite pictures show major traffic jams, which went on for miles, along with massive problems with water infrastructure. Now, the alleged attack by Israel, apparently
0: in retaliation by Iran, to target Israel's water infrastructure. So they've been attacking each other. Iran goes after something in Israel. Israel shuts down massive swaths of sectors of Iran. And for more,
4: I'd like to bring in our defense correspondent Daniel Semach. Daniel, uh, thank you for joining me this morning. Run us through exactly what happened here and really how much, of, how much chaos uh, did it cause. Yeah, So we're talking about a, a report that was published by The Washington Post. They cite U.S. officials as well as foreign officials who allege that the Iranian port system was hacked successfully um, and significantly. That is to say, we're talking about, as you described, those traffic jams of the vessels, uh, apparently holding back shipments and uh, exports for days, uh, several days. According to the Iranian Port Authority, uh, they seem to have downplayed the effect of this uh, cyber attack, which is being attributed to Israel, the Israeli military and the Israeli government for now not commenting.
0: (laughs) So you have a Cold War going on between China and the U.S. You have Israel performing cyber attacks that are significant against Iran, Iran targeting Israel's water systems. It's an interconnected set of cold wars. It's a powder keg. And this ambassador just winds up dead in the middle of all of it. It's really strange. And there's a, there's a tinge of irony to all of this. While we're talking about these two nations attacking each other's cyber infrastructure, at that very time, The United States Attorney General Bill Barr was trashing Apple for refusing to unlock or refusing is the wrong word, for designing their software in such a way that they could not unlock the iPhone of a shooter.
3: Apple's desire to provide privacy for its customers is understandable, but not at all costs. Under our nation's long established constitutional principles, where court of where a court authorizes a search for evidence of a crime, an individual's privacy interest must yield to the broader public interest.
0: Let's stop right here and talk about what Apple does do, because you should be aware of this. Apple hands over all information from your iCloud account, including entire backup images of your phone, which will have everything. So be clear about this. If you back up your iPhone to iCloud, They can hand that over. Any metadata information they have about iMessage, apps you've downloaded, emails you've sent, contacts that you've synced, notes in your Apple Notes, photos. If Apple is served a warrant, they will try to give them as much as they can from iCloud, regardless if the phone has been blown up to bits. They will attempt to retrieve that information from the cloud. They do it on the routine. They even publish information about how often they are served these kinds of requests. You can go look it up. Apple is providing information. What they are not doing is altering the fundamental encryption mechanisms in such a way that there would be a mandatory backdoor that would be exploitable not only by the U.S. government, but by anyone who got their hands on it. There's a difference between data on your device and data in the cloud. And they're handing over the data in the cloud.
3: There is no reason why companies like Apple cannot design their consumer products and apps to allow for court-authorized access by law enforcement while maintaining very high standards of data security.
0: Is AG Barr a developer? How the hell can he know that? How the hell can he know if it's possible for them to design an encrypted system with backdoors that is still safe? How can he make that statement? That's an assertion he can't back up.
3: Striking this balance should not be left to corporate uh, boardrooms. It is a decision that must be made by the American people through their representatives.
0: See, here's the problem. They have struck a balance, and it's still not enough. That's why we have to stand this ground on this issue. They've struck a balance in turning over all of the cloud data. That's already a lot more than I'm comfortable with. As a customer, that's about as far as I'm willing to go. It seems like a reasonable balance, and there are means and ways in which iPhone users can opt out of those cloud services and not have their data snooped on. But for the average consumer, it's all up there in iCloud. Seems like a pretty good compromise to me. Meanwhile, the device, which is more likely to get stolen by a common petty theft, is protected. Seems pretty reasonable, and I hope Google backs them up on that. We'll see. Haven't heard a lot out of them from it. Thank you for joining me. I tried to keep this one a little tighter this week. Try to give you just the information you need. I'm still watching everything, though, and appreciate your clip submissions, your soundboard ideas, all of it in the Discord at unfiltered.show. Slash Discord. Ooh, I got inspired there. You feel that? It's the music. Also, don't forget about that live Q&A this Friday. As I should say the date, eh? Because I realize you could be in the future. That's Friday, May 22nd, 2020 at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern, twitch.tv unfilter. The questions and feedback form will be linked at the top of the show notes, but don't forget we also have the contact page. That's going to a Proton mailbox, which is protected and encrypted, unfilter.show slash contact. Go ahead and email me there or email me directly, unfilter at protonmail.com. I'm at Chris Las. You can also find my personal website at ChrisLAS.com where I do offer podcast consulting. If you want to get into the game, <laughs> I'll save you a few years of mistakes. ChrisLAS.com slash consulting. Some of you have been taking me up on that too. That's pretty awesome. And last but not least, please support the show at Patreon.com slash unfilter. It's a people's history for the people by the people. Patreon.com slash unfilter. More coming there too. Just getting things spun up, really. It's just the beginning. Thanks so much for tuning into this week's episode of the Unfilter Show. I'll be back next. I'm, I'm saying it. I'm calling it right now Wednesday. It's gonna be Wednesdays I record in the evening, and then you can expect it Thursday morning at unfilter.show. So I'll see you back here next week. <laughs>
4: Need
6: right.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Mommy needs a joint. It
0: sound but- like you're on heroin or something. What?